What up, world? Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Blazers. I am your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. Tonight is game three. I believe we are all supposed to call this a pivotal game three when the series is tied 1-1. I will do my best not to write the word pivotal in anything I write following game three. But I guarantee some people will because that is what we do in this world. So pivotal game three. Uh, I talked a little bit about uh, sort of what adjustments and, and the keys to this game. Uh, it mostly hit on some obvious stuff. If you listen to the last podcast, if not, go back and listen. Still fresh. But I want to talk about a handful of things that were kind of left on the cutting room floor. Uh, the nature of recording an episode quickly after the game, trying to get it up for you guys quickly. And also just I wasn't in the arena. So there's things you miss. There's updates that you don't have. But I want to make sure you have you have... All of the updates you need ahead of tonight's game. So I'm recording another one for you on this wonderful Friday morning for you to listen to. Here's what we know. I want to talk about some health issue stuff on both teams and then a couple little uh, reporting details that I did not get to uh, in the third segment that came out of last night's game. So let's start with the Blazers health issue. The big one is Maurice Harkless. Mo twisted his right ankle with 535 left in the second quarter, went to the bench, immediately checked out by trainer Jeff Clark and also head of health and performance Jess Ellis before limping back to the locker room before the end of the second quarter. He did not return in the second half. He is officially, officially listed as questionable for game three. Now, I don't really have a good read on whether he's going to play or not, mostly because I didn't talk to him after the game. Uh, you know, he kind of said, we'll see, we'll see. Terry Stotts did not really give a real update in his brief conference call with the media today. He doesn't really give injury updates. That's not a big surprise. But if you were looking for clarity, uh, it came in the form of the Blazers official injury report. Mo Harkless got an MRI on that ankle. It confirmed that he has a sprain and he's questionable. So I don't really know if he's going to play. Uh, I don't think that speculation is worthwhile. I think it's more worthwhile to figure out what happens if if he does not play. If he does play, you expect him to start and you know give him give his normal twenty five minutes, and maybe he'll be limited. But that's something we'll see once he gets out on the court. The important thing is to consider what, or not the important thing. I think the the interesting thing is to consider what happens if if he does not play. And I I think uh, Terry Stotts tipped his hand. Uh, on what he might do in Game 3. I think it's very likely that what we saw when Jake Lehman started the second half is what we'll see again from Blazers in Game 3 with Jake Lehman playing uh, what I have jokingly referred to as the Victor Claver Memorial role, where you play the opening six minutes of the first quarter and the opening six minutes of the third quarter, and you are not under consideration for any other minutes, pretty much regardless. I imagine that's where we see... Jake playing. He played about the first five minutes of the third quarter in game two. Missed his only shot. Kind of, kind of just meaningless minutes as, as not, not that he was like, it was a meaningless minutes for him, but it was just, uh, he wasn't super effective. He wasn't good or bad. He would just existed. So that's what I expect. Five or six minutes for him to start both halves. If, if that's how it goes down. But I also think it trickles down. I think we see a little more Evan Turner. He played more minutes in game to certainly more minutes than he had pretty much throughout the entire playoffs. I think he played about 18 in game, in, in game two. I think I think he could he could see an uptick in minutes because of his defensive abilities. I think we'll probably see a little more 
Uh, Rodney Hood, he's been really good in this series. I think we'll see more of him playing there. I, 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 don't, think he, I don't think he's likely to start because uh, if he comes off the bench, Terry can play him about, you know, 18 straight minutes to close each half, get him to 36. That's... Um, that would be how how you could sort of sneak that in there, get him to play the end of the first and the third quarter and then all of the second and fourth if need be. Uh, I also think there's a chance that the Blazers, if Mo Harkless doesn't play, play more of that three-guard lineup with McCollum, Lillard, and Seth Curry. It's okay. It, uh, Stotts hasn't, hasn't really shied away from that against... Um, in other situations, like he played it against, he played that group against uh, against OKC, even though OKC has some length on the wings. But I think particularly against Denver because they're not super big on the wings. I think it's uh, I think it's okay to play Seth Curry there. I think he can handle it against Demarcus Cousins or or Demarcus Cousins, Demarcus Peasley or uh, Will Barton, or if, if playing against starters, uh, he probably won't get the. Tory Craig assignment, so he won't be outmatched physically at that spot. But I think it's uh, it's pretty meaningful which Jake Lehman kind of shows up in his 12 minutes. Um, you know, I said his five minutes were kind of meaningless in that third quarter, but 12 minutes is way different, particularly the start of the game. He would need him to be meaningful. There was a stretch when Jake Lehman was very good for the Blazers. Uh, he kind of fell out of the lineup at the end of December and then the the start of the year. He, he picked up a handful of DNPs. And then there was a stretch from January 4th until the All-Star break where he was like a, a legitimately useful uh, role player. Uh, during that stretch, he averaged 24 minutes a game, 12 points, almost four rebounds, 3.8 boards. He shot 57% from the from the floor, including 39% from three on three and a half attempts per game. Uh, he was finishing everything at the rim, and he was making threes like that. That stretch for Jake, he was really good. He even had some uh, big games against good teams: uh, 17 against OKC, 17 against the Warriors. Had double digit game in Sacramento, another one in Denver. I mean, he there was there was a stretch where he was really good. Uh, and it wasn't just feasting against bad teams. But then after the All-Star break, he wasn't good. He was very specifically bad. Uh, the, the Blazers had added Rodney Hood. His minute, Layman's minutes naturally fell. Instead of playing about 24 minutes a game, he dropped down to about 19 and a half. So he lost about, you know, two and a half minutes per shift, basically, in his two shifts per game. But he shot 22% from three after the All-Star break, only 44% from the field. That's down from... 57% in that in his stretch where he was like a meaningful contributor. So you were looking for that sort of January to Valentine's Day Jake to show up. That's six weeks when he looked like a really good, really useful NBA player. Not the six weeks that followed when he kind of he he struggled and then has just fallen out of the rotation entirely in the playoffs. You know, he's gotten on the floor in some games, but he's played some some garbage time minutes. He hasn't played a, he hasn't played real minutes basically until that, uh, until that, that five minute stretch against Denver the other night. So I think that's key. They need, I, I don't know like how you unlock that Jake from January and February. Uh, I don't think confidence is something you kind of 
have and you have it because you get it, but I don't think someone can give it to you, if that makes sense. But I think that's I think those minutes are going to be key. Uh, the Blazers will miss Mo Harkless if he doesn't play. He's 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 really really crucial to their success. It's hard for them to replace his energy defensively, his ability to rebound when he's locked in. I thought he did a really nice job to start the game against Jamal Murray. Uh, it's going to leave some other some other guys to have to defend a key player for the Bla- for the Nuggets. But that's what I want to talk about in the next segment. What version of Jamal Murray is going to show up in Game Two, both in effectiveness and health. He, like Mo Harkless, dealing with an injury, although his name didn't show up on the injury report. So we're going to talk a little bit about Murray's health, what that might mean for the Nuggets in the second segment. But first, I want to remind you guys that when you get in your car, tell your smart speaker, play podcast Lockdown Blazers. Great podcast to uh, listen to on your commute. I try to keep them short. So if you are driving to work, this is about a drive to work's worth of information. But if you don't have a commute and you're just driving around, you can still tell your smart speaker in your car, play podcast Lockdown Blazers, make it, a part of daily, make it a part of your daily routine. Every time you get in the car, tell your smart speaker, play podcast Lockdown Blazers. All right, so we talked about Harkless's health. Now let's talk about what's happening on the Nuggets side of things. So in the Nuggets official injury report, the only name listed is Michael Porter Jr. who hasn't played all year long. That's not that important, but it's important is the name that's not on there. The name that's not on there is point guard Jamal Murray. Murray has been dealing with a right thigh injury since the first round of the series, first round of the playoffs, when he caught a knee from Spurs center Jakob Portal right in the thigh. Uh, he's He's been just dealing with, with sort of re-injuring and re-dealing with that fat thigh tightness and tenderness since then uh, you saw him in game two against the Blazers really really working that knee or working that thigh that leg uh, on the bench he was riding the bike to stay warm and then when he came out there at the end of the game he was just looked like he was moving through quicksand looked like he had some a cement shoe on that leg and I think that's I think that's a really big deal. I think it's telling that he's not on the injury report. It's kind of the Ennis Cantor thing. Like, everyone in the world knows Cantor's hurt, but because he's going to play and play his minutes, the Blazers do not list him on the injury report. It is just a known thing that he has a separated shoulder. It's not an injury because he's playing, is the way uh, a PR staffer once explained it to me when I asked if someone was, was going to be listed on the injury report. If he's not on the injury report, he's not hurt. That's the official line of thinking, but certainly not true. It's not true with Cantor, and it's not true with Murray. Now, now Murray said it's an issue. Uh, Malone said it's an issue. It's hard to say uh, sort of how long it will linger, but if it's been lingering around since the first round of the playoffs, you can bet that it'll be something that Murray has to continue to play through and has continued to just deal with one way or another whether that's just getting extra treatment or whether that's just dragging that leg around because he, you know, he can't get it right. And Murray, and I've talked about this a bunch, he's so crucial to the Nuggets' success. In the playoffs this year through nine games, Jamal Murray's splits are incredibly telling. In the five wins the Nuggets have, Murray is averaging 23 points on 51% shooting and shooting 48% from three. Along with that, he's averaging six assists and just one turnover in those wins. In losses, though, Murray averaging 13.5 points, 
Denver's lost four times in the playoffs, for those of you keeping score at home. But Murray's averaging 13.5 points, shooting 34, 35% from the floor, 21% from three. He doesn't get to the free throw line nearly as much. Four and a half attempts and wins, just one and a half attempts per game in the losses. He's averaging just two and a half assists in the losses and two and and 2.3 assists and 2.5 turnovers, more turnovers than assists and losses. When Jamal Murray is good, the Nuggets are good. See game one when he was really good against the Blazers, scored 23 points and dished out eight assists. When he wasn't very good, six of 18, 15 points in game two, the Nuggets struggled. He's their key. As much as everything revolves around Jokic, their two-man game and what Murray brings to their offense is really, really crucial. Gary Harris is really good, but he's not quite as dynamic offensively. Uh, Monty Morris just, he hasn't had it. Will Barton has struggled all season since dealing with that abductor hip injury thing. Malik Beasley provides energy, but not that sort of consistent scoring punch. Barton is, or excuse me, Murray is the guy. And when he's good, that thing hums. Denver looks really good. Like they did when they lit up the Blazers for 121 points in game one. When he struggles, and some of that certainly was due to his health, their offense can have some stinkers like they did in game two. And this isn't a Mo Harkless situation where it's if he doesn't play, who steps in? Is this, you know, we're not talking about whether Isaiah Thomas is going gonna, is gonna to get these minutes. Like, Jamal Murray isn't on the injury report. Like I said, dude's going to play. He's going to probably play 34 minutes, starter minutes on Friday evening, tonight. It's just like, does he have a efficient 23 and not turn the ball over and get to the free throw line and... and Become a menace coming off dribble handoffs? Or is he dragging that right leg around like we saw him at the end of the fourth quarter when he had to sit the final 53 seconds of that of game two? Because I think that's a really big deal for Denver. They don't have someone who can replace his his production and, and, and the dynamic he just brings to the offense. So health watch, thigh watch for Jamal Murray. We'll be watching that that right leg and what it looks like early on. Because he, he's as crucial as can be for the Nuggets. Those are your two health updates. Mo Harkless questionable. Jamal Murray questionable, just not officially. In the third segment, I want to come back and talk about a couple big stories that I did not cover in the previous podcast if you follow this team, you probably know this stuff, but I felt like I owed it to you guys to dig a little bit deeper into it. Uh, there's some interesting things I want to give you. I don't know if they're my takes, but my uh, versions of those stories, how I view them. So come back with me, rocking that third segment. We'll talk a little bit about John Yim and Bowtie Wednesday and Ennis Cantor's continuing battle with his home country of Turkey. All right, welcome back. Still Mike Richmond, still locked on Blazers. So the Blazers coaching staff on Wednesday night, they all wore bow ties. 
Uh, it was to follow in a tradition that their video coordinator and player development coach, John Yim, had made on home Wednesdays during the, during the regular season. He would always wear a bow tie. The Blazers, at home on Wednesdays during the regular season, a perfect 10-0. So the Blazers coaching staff wore the bow ties again on Wednesday night, this time on the road against the Denver Nuggets, bow tie Wednesdays, to honor John Yim, who was in the day after the Blazers clinched their Game 5 series against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, he was driving back home from Multnomah Falls. Uh, those of you who live in the area, you know that it's about 30 miles outside of Portland. But if you don't know, it's about 30 miles outside of Portland, giant waterfall. Uh, his mother and his sister and, and brother-in-law, uh, they were in his SUV driving back from Multnomah Falls, and he got into a, a, a real serious car accident. Uh, had a, a, a neck in, a broken bone in his neck and his leg, um, suffered a, a concussion, also hurt his hand. Uh, you can read the details about uh, both of these things. I really recommend you reading uh, both Joe Freeman of the Oregonian and Jason Quick of the Athletic wrote really nice pieces following the game about uh, detailing uh, John Yim's accident and what he means to the team. But to sort of just, I'll give you guys a quick summary. But for real, check those, check both those pieces out because they're both really good uh, and and give some uh, sort of color from from different uh, different points of view about uh, Yim's relationship with the Blazers, but Yim's just a really good dude. People like him a lot. Um, he's he's as positive as you can possibly be. Uh, he's He just, dude, lives at the practice facility. He is always there. And uh, on game days, you know, when I just see him around, dude has a ton of energy. He's always smiling. He's incredibly positive. Um, always a friendly person to talk to. Uh, not everyone on game days around an NBA team is super friendly and positive and chatty. Uh, Yimmer, as he is known, it, Yimmer is always that. Uh, you can you can talk it up with him, and uh, you know, guy loves hoops, loves the Blazers, works his butt off. Um, very hilariously, just a, like a, a, a anecdote is uh, the night the Blazers clinched the playoffs, he was the only person who was upset because he had to. Uh, he was I was joking with him after the game that he had a long night ahead of him, and he was saying he you know he literally probably would not sleep cutting up video as they prepared for the uh, OKC series. But that's kind of do what he is. Stay up all night to uh, cut up video and, and, and prepare a scouting report, but he also just, he's he's a great workout dude. He had a really close relationship with Ed Davis before Ed Davis was traded. He has a, uh, Jason detailed his relationship with uh, CJ McCollum and his story. So uh, a really nice tribute from the Blazers. Uh, to pay tribute to John Yim, who's still in the hospital dealing with the injuries from that car accident. Uh, really scary stuff, and a really good dude, and, and I certainly, Yimmer, if you're out there listening to this, I am wishing you a speedy recovery, my man. Can't wait to uh, see you back out there doing what you love. So yeah, check out those stories for more on Yimmer. Great assistant coach, great dude. The other thing, uh, sort of story that I did not touch on in my last podcast that I want to touch on here is uh, sort of a this ongoing saga of Enes Kanter versus uh, Turkish leader Erdogan. There was uh, a couple people tweeted this out after the game. I think both Casey Holdall and Royce Young 
Kisola of Trailblazers.com, Royce Young of ESPN, uh, both tweeted out that there was like a fan yelling from Pepsi Center or something like when Cantor was getting booed at the end of the game for that like altercation with 45 seconds left with Jamal Murray and Torrey Craig. Um, that, one, you know, after the fans were booing him, one yelled, go back to your country. Oh, wait, you can't. Um, I don't want to really talk about that at all. Because every single arena you've ever been in for any sport has has crappy fans, has people who are jerks. Uh, I think painting the sort of Nuggets fan like one dumbass's comment is unfair. Uh, if, you, if you've been to the Moto Center, I'm sure you've heard people yell stupid stuff. Uh, it's not a reflection of the fan base as a whole, but it's certainly a reflection of one idiot. So screw that idiot. I think that's unimportant. I think what is... Uh, the Cantor stuff that I find interesting is that after the game, you know, Cantor spoke out about uh, how that was insulting and how he'd love to go home and that he can't because he chose to stand up for democracy and fight against this this evil dictator. And he literally can't go home and see his parents. He can't travel out of the country because he's uh, there's like an Interpol arrest out for him. And if he were to leave the U.S., uh, it's very likely that the that Interpol might arrest him because he has a red notice out for him, uh, which is basically just like kind of an international arrest warrant that countries can put out for uh, people they claim are political criminals. And Cantor said it was that sort of retweeted something on on, uh, Twitter saying that that fan comment was hateful and that he'd love to go home and uh, that type of thing breaks his heart. And, and 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 it should and, and what Cantor's Cantor standing up to uh, you know a, a, a evil international dictator is 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 noble I mean it it, it truly is but uh, I think what was really interesting the most sort of most newsworthy thing was uh, the official NBA Turkey Twitter account was like retweeting or not retweeting but it was like tweeting out updates from the game and they like specifically did not include Cantor's name in the uh, in the tweet and Cantor uh, also noted that on social media and said how, how embarrassing and insulting it is uh, that Erdogan runs the, runs Turkey in such a way that, um, you know, people are afraid to mention his name and the NBA PA made a statement on Thursday saying that they fully support Cantor and uh, NBA commissioner, deputy commissioner Mark Tatum came out and said that the person who runs the NBA Turkey account has been fired or they've, you know, ended their ties with them, it's a, it's an independent contractor, and that he fully supports Ennis Cantor too. So I find that to be the most curious. I don't really care what fans say, but I, I, I think that the ongoing saga between the Turkish leader and, and Ennis Cantor is uh, fascinating and enlightening on a level that is well beyond basketball. And I think it's it's uh, special for Cantor to be playing this deep into the playoffs and this well. And of course doing it with a separated shoulder, but, but having this type of um, this type of game and this type of impact uh, late into the playoffs with a team, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely the most special time of his, of the dude's career. So those are the two things I missed. I missed the Yimmer thing and I missed the Cantor thing. I apologize for that. Oh yeah, and the other thing I mentioned or forgot to mention was that there are no suspensions. Uh, both teams kind of there was that altercation with 45 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Uh, both teams had people come off the bench. 
most notably Jamal Murray coming to yell at Ennis Cantor, also uh, a couple other end-of-the-bench guys like Jared Vanderbilt and Thomas Welsh for uh, the Nuggets and Evan Turner, notably for the Blazers. But uh, a couple people reported, both Royce Young and Joe Freeman reported, that the uh, there aren't going to be any suspensions from that, and that isn't anything but a good thing. It's fun to see both teams at full strength. So I think the NBA got that right. Uh, if you were rooting for a suspension, you are not like me. So, sorry. But yeah, NBA nailed that one. No need to suspend dudes uh, for something like that. So, game three tonight should be a pivotal one, y'all. It's pivotal game three. I'll be there to watch it pivot. I will talk to you after that one. We got game four on Sunday, a weekend full of Blazers hoops. I appreciate y'all rocking with me. If you're looking for this podcast, you can find it on the Himalaya app. It's also on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Tell your friends about Lockdown Blazers. Come back again soon. I'll talk to you then. Peace.